This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the senior editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. The state of Massachusetts is undertaking a second review of the Boston Public Schools just two years after it released a devastating critique of the state's largest public school system. The State Department of Education has chosen not to place the Boston schools into receivership, which would allow the state to assume direct responsibility for the city's schools. Instead, when they finished up the first review, they reached an agreement with the Boston school superintendent that certain goals would be achieved in the near future. Well, now the state is re-looking at this again as part of its second review. And there is some suggestion by some people that the state should take over the school system in Boston, just as it did in Lawrence, Massachusetts, quite successfully a few years ago. The Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston that focuses on state and local government problems in Boston and throughout Massachusetts, has issued its own devastating report that, in fact, does call for a state takeover. I am pleased to welcome to the Education Exchange, James Sturgis, the Executive Director of the Pioneer Institute, who is uh, involved in the production of the Pioneer Report. So thank you very much, Jim, for joining me on the Education Exchange. Paul, thank you for having me. You know, you've been a long time here, and I'm really appreciative of the opportunity. Well, Jim, can you first tell me uh, whether the state is actually going to follow your recommendation to assume responsibility for the Boston school system? Well, I'd start by saying that this second audit was not a foregone conclusion. It wasn't as if it was already scheduled. Uh, This is the result of some public pressure from parents, from organizations like Pioneer Institute, and to some degree from the business community saying that what is in the Boston public schools right now, what's happening is untenable. Um, It will be difficult Politically, every receivership is difficult politically. Uh, I think it's difficult, especially for this governor, because he's about to go out of office at the end of this calendar year. But that also sometimes leads to a a bout of courage. Um, And I do know that there is a deep look that's happening by the department under the leadership of Jeff Riley, uh, the commissioner there, who did lead the Lawrence Public Schools receivership and has made no... Um, secret of his uh, disappointment with what is happening in the Boston Public Schools. He's also someone who had worked within the Boston Public Schools for a number of years on innovation and sort of fix-it matters, if you will. So uh, there is at least an ongoing conversation about it. And I would say that uh, if there were no risk of it, the mayor of Boston, Mayor Wu, and a whole train of people behind her would not have shown up without invitation to a board of elementary and secondary education, they would not have been in the news over and over and over again trying to say, please don't do this. So the mayor apparently doesn't want this to happen, but the mayor is a brand new mayor. It's not only that the gubernatorial chair is going to change over uh, next November, but we've got a brand new mayor in Boston. So maybe you should let people have a chance before you, uh, the state gets involved. Is that, is that the thinking? You know, there, there's, there is some thinking in that regard. And of course, she's the first uh, woman mayor of Boston. Uh, and she's also of color. And so this also adds a different wrinkle to how you consider these things. I, I would say that the, the troubles are so deep, Paul, uh, that, uh, I mean, we are not just talking about performance issues. I mean, things like one out of two 
students graduates from a Boston public high school, unless you're talking about the exam schools. When you start, when you fold that in, that changes the numbers, but the exam schools include a whole bunch of charter school students and a whole bunch of private school students. So it's not exactly a measure. Uh, that, that's an appalling number. 30 plus percent of the Boston public school students are in schools that perform at the bottom 10% of the entire state. Uh, probably something on the order of 65 to 70% of the students are not taught what they are tested on. And you wonder why they're not passing the tests. There are federal officials and state officials crawling all over the Boston public schools on issues related to English language learners. And um, the, the treatment and services provided to special needs students. And then you, you lay on top of that all of the uh, indications of corruption and, and perhaps even fraud. And it's, it's just an astounding system, Paul. I mean, we're, we're talking about things like overstating graduation rates. We're talking about uh, inability to provide bus services. We're talking about making errors and in invitations made to exam schools. We're talking about a superintendent who was practicing without a license. I mean, they don't even have the school assignments out yet for next year. These are, it's a system that is broken. Uh, it's a system that went from 54,000 students to just 46,000 in four years. Just 20 years ago, they had 61,000. I mean, they could they're going to, if they don't fix something, the Boston public schools as an entity will be immaterial to how people, how kids receive their schooling well, in Boston. See, well, let's take up some of these, the, some of these items. There's a 61,000 enrollment a few years back. There's what, 45,000 around today? Did it's you 46,000 today, yeah. So what causes the drop? What, what, where do you see, where are these where are these kids going? Are there just fewer kids today or what's happening to them? It's a, it's a great question. There, there, there are two factors which are not under the school's control. One is family formation has changed over time. Uh, the second thing is that Boston is a pretty wealthy city and many of its wealthy residents have chosen not to participate in the public schools whatsoever and send their kids to private schools. Uh, there's also uh, more movement to the charter schools. So some of it's that. But over the last four years, not a single charter school has been established. Uh, and we've seen a drop of something on the order of 8,000 students. And we're actually seeing in survey materials that homeschooling has become a huge thing. And even among low income parents, we're seeing some of that, which just says that people do not want to be part of the system. Also, you've got to remember, Boston's a small city in the large metropolitan area. And there's a lot of close in suburbs like uh, like Newton and like Brookline and, and Cambridge and many other uh, little districts that are offering an alternative. If the family wants to move outside of Boston, they can still work in downtown Boston, but they can live further out. And that has for a long time been a, a point to where families say it's time to move out. Yeah, uh, that's so exactly right. That's a big part of the story too. Absolutely, it is. It is. But they, they wouldn't be doing that if they did not see the schools in a free fall at this point. And it's really sped up to a, a, to a level we haven't seen before. Well, you mentioned in, a, in an op-ed piece that you wrote that there are 500 school administrators working in the central office for a, a school system of 46,000 students. And you say that's ridiculously high. It's always hard for me to figure out how many administrators do you need? 
for a school system of 46,000. Uh, what would you say is, is, is the range out there in, in this number of administrators at school districts? Paul, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great question. Look, we, we, in that op-ed we put 500. We've been looking at this question. We believe it actually may be as high as 700. It's uh, the, the ways in which uh, these are reported within the school district is uh, difficult to disentangle. We're doing work on that right now. So I'd say it's 500 to 700. It's actually 500 to 800, but there's departures and we don't want to double count. Um, I, I would just give you the example of the Lawrence Public Schools, which did go through a receivership. And even after hiring up over the last couple of years to make sure they have capacity to serve kids on special needs and other things that are, are absolutely necessary, they have something on the order of 85 to 90 people in a school district that is literally one third the size of Boston's. Uh, so you do the math, we're talking about something probably closer to 300 is what you want. Um, and, and the problem with that is you're, you're starving the classroom of dollars and uh, spending the money in the central office. And I say that recognizing that some of the hires are related to a push to serve special needs students better. And that's all for the good some of these people who are in the central office have a double, if you will, assignment where they're also working in schools. The problem with that is we're also not seeing any real improvement in the services provided to special needs students. So I'm not, it's less a matter of how many people, though that is important and has a budgetary impact on classroom spending, but it's much more, it has become a place that is ungovernable. Uh, where there's not a, um, it needs rationalization so that it actually does the work it needs to do. So it, it's hard to disentangle all the forces at work. We know a lot of kids come to school without adequate preparation. The family background for a lot of kids at the Boston Public Schools isn't what it is and in other parts of the country. Uh, and then there's the question about the teachers. There's a one, many studies say the teacher is the most important school employee for the welfare of kids and how much they learn. So are the teachers incompetent in Boston? Or is it just, is it just like you said, they're the governance of the system is a mess? Uh, I know many teachers in the Boston public school system. I, this is an anecdotal statement, so take it for what it's worth. Not very much, but what I'd say is that most every Boston public school teacher that I've met works hard, is trying to do his or her best in a system that's broken. Uh, Paul, uh, they are well compensated. The average teacher in Boston makes about $103,000. The Boston public schools as a whole spend twenty-six thousand dollars per student that's an adequate amount of investment to make sure that we are actually fulfilling our constitutional duty because we have a constitutional duty in massachusetts to ensure that every kid gets access to a good school i think it's much less a problem with teachers though i think in every system the bottom five percent and i think rick hanishek's work shows this over and over again if you could make sure that you are weeding out the lowest performing teachers uh, it will accrue to the benefit of overall learning in a way that uh, you might not imagine. So I, I'm not saying there's not that there, but you do have a 90, 95% of the workforce that is very likely uh, working hard and finding it really hard to make progress in large part because of things like, as I said before, the central office cannot even get alignment on the curriculum for the students. So 65 to 70% of the students are not encountering 
material that they will see on their tests. How frustrating could that be to parents and a family and to the teacher? It's, uh, it's maddening. Well, we have a school superintendent and her name is Brenda Caselius. She's announced her resignation at the end of the school year, just three years after she was hired. And she's not the only school superintendent of the Boston school system that's left within three years. There seems to be a revolving door. Why is there a revolving door at the very top of the Boston school system? And is this at the core of the problem? This is definitely at the core of the problem. The Boston public school system uh, under Tom Pizant, as you'll remember, Tom did, a, I think, a handsome job together with uh, Michael Contempasas as, as his sort of first sergeant, if you will. Uh, it wasn't spectacular improvement, but it was a steady, stable hand that allowed for some innovation, including charter schools and in-district charters, if you will, so-called pilot schools. It allowed for more alignment on the, on the curriculum uh, with the test and um, frankly allowed for them to think through problems with continuity, which is lacking totally here. Someone comes in and then they start, well, we're gonna, we have a new initiative and the old initiative doesn't die. And the new initiatives gets layered on top of it. And this is what I mean by the central office. It's sort of like barnacles on the bottom of an ocean liner. You have one on top of the other. That's what's happening here. And the people who are within the ship don't have any idea of what's going on underneath the boat. This is, um, this is why we believe that a receivership is so crucial, Paul. And if I could just for a second, I'd share with you our particular view on receivership, which is, look, the, we're not Pollyannish about a receivership. Uh, around the country, we've seen a lot of these and they haven't worked. We've seen a few that have worked in Massachusetts, whether it's in the Chelsea Public Schools or the Lawrence Public Schools, We've seen some others that haven't worked as well. We can draw lessons from these things. And the lessons that we draw are these. Number one, it has to be a time-limited receivership where there's already people are starting to plan from day one how to hand back the district to the district officials. You don't want the state to run a city's schools for a long period of time. Number two, it has to have only a couple of things it wants to do, things that could be potential game changers. And number one is fix the central office, rationalize it, get done the basic stuff that you have to do, including, and I think primarily, making sure there's alignment of the curriculum across the schools so that kids face a test and they say, hey, I passed it because I actually saw that material in school. It makes them feel better about progress. They fail and fail and fail. That's just, it's cruel. Uh, the third thing is do not focus on all of the schools. Just focus on the 34 schools that are in the bottom 10% statewide do that over a six-year period and get out. The six-year period would provide them stability that they have not seen for a long time, but also make sure the state gets out because the state oversight can get really um, counterproductive over time. It leads to rot within the central office itself. People don't feel motivated. You don't want to do that. You want to engage them uh, in the fix as well and make sure they know there's a there's a a runway that gets them back into control and motivates them to want that. Well, you said that the enrollment is down from 60,000 plus to 45 plus, a big, big drop in enrollment. That must mean we've got schools that are 
don't have very many students in them and you're keeping a school going with all the costs of keeping a school going, even though you may have relatively few children there. So it seems to me like if you've got a limited number of low quality schools, why aren't you just closing those schools and having students go to better quality schools? Is that been tried in Boston? Uh, if you'll remember when Michelle Rhee and Mayor Fenty uh, were in Washington, D.C. Um, that was part of the plan, and it cost them their seats. There's not a mayor who wants to do that, Paul. Uh, what I would say is you're absolutely right. Uh, and I do think if judiciously they chose to close um, two or three schools, got developers to come in, pay them for those schools. Boston is a very pricey real estate area and reinvest that, use that as a fund to reinvest in programming. That would be a wonderful way to make at least some progress and set up, if you will, an exemplar of what can be done if we focus on the students rather than the buildings. But I would not suggest that that's a good move politically to try and do a whole fix of that issue because it's a huge issue, Paul. There are many buildings that are completely underutilized um, because of the fall in the number of students, as you stated. But I think one would have to be extremely judicious and set up a, um, make it clear to people what the benefits are in dollars, getting the dollars back into the classroom. Well, this sounds like it is the way to go, but is it really possible to get big city school systems, even if you did a state takeover, to really adopt a set of policies which over the long run could provide the quality education that's desirable. Is this whole model of big city school districts in trouble? Well, my, my belief is the day, the day of the big city school system has long been gone. Uh, I mean, I just, they're, they're not capable of, the, of being nimble enough to meet the needs of their students. We see it over and over again. I don't need to tell you that. The data is very clear on that. We do not have outsized expectations from a receivership. We don't think a receivership is going to fix all problems. What we're aiming for with our proposal is simply to say to folks, we can create capacity within the central office and we can solve some key problems that over a six year period, they will be modest in accomplishment, but they will allow the district to start making incremental improvements perhaps a la Tom Paisant back in the day and put the system back on a track where it could improve. This for me is not, does not supplant the need for more charters. It does not supplant the need for more choice, whether an expansion of the Metco desegregation program, which would allow more students to attend satellite communities like Brookline and Newton, as he said before, the Arlingtons. Um, it does not supplant the need to fix the vocational technical school in Boston and to make it a school of choice, truly of choice. Uh, all of that, I mean, if we really are serious, we do all of that. But this is one component of saying we can't watch the Boston public schools spiral downward, which is what they are doing. We cannot see them spiral downward. For, we need to arrest the decline. That's all we're saying. Well, so... Let me ask you about the transportation system. You know, the Boston public schools are responsible for transporting all students in Boston, whether they're attending a public school, a private school, or a charter school. But every fall, there seems to be a disaster on the opening day of school. The buses aren't there. What is the problem? 
Where does this come from? Uh, it's certainly not from funding. Uh, to For everything that we've been able to uh, disentangle on the budgets around busing and doing, you know, apples to apples comparisons, some districts that are somewhat similarly sized, et cetera, et cetera. It seems to us that Boston is probably the second most expensive system uh, for busing services following behind Buffalo. So it's not for a lack of money. We spent a ton of dough on this. And I remember that in the last mayoral debates, the acting mayor, Kim Janey, was actually bragging, and I think the first or was the second debate, that she uh, that they had attained 59% on-time performance. I mean, this is, um, <laughs> she didn't mention how many buses just didn't show up. I mean, this is a huge problem. And part of this is a very, as you know, things are so politically fraught in Boston and other major cities, but especially in Boston because of history around busing, that the idea of somehow minimizing some level of busing going back to neighborhood schools is, it's troubling. It's hard to think through because you get put into one camp or another uh, almost immediately. Uh, that's one that frankly, during in a receivership proposal, we're not even thinking about trying to fix that, Paul. And that tells you how limited uh, our birth is, if you will, that the premise of our receivership proposal is. It truly is all about what happens in the classroom with the student. I wish it went, could go further, but I actually don't even think the state would have the capacity to take on all of those issues. These are troubling, hard issues uh, where, frankly, the mayor has to take the lead on these things and say, I want X or I want Y. So I, I, I don't want to punt on these things. It's a huge issue and a huge expenditure line. But, you know, when we look at it, if I can choose between getting kids to learn the content and be tested and see themselves successful, if you will, and uh, trouble with the buses, I've got to go for the first one, to be quite honest. Well, you know, we give students a choice, families a choice of school within certain parameters. And you would think that with all the choice that's available inside the Boston public school system and outside the public school system through the private schools that exist and the charter schools exist, that you would have a system that should be really raising student performance because all these choice options are going to get the right match between student and school and the, there's going to be competition among the schools. So why hasn't choice worked out the way we have all talked about it working out when we talk about the virtues of school choice? When you're in a hermetically sealed system that provides only bad choices, that is run with a strong hand from the central office, which is dysfunctional, you have a series of poor choices. The choices within the Boston Public Schools are probably a third of the schools are working pretty well, a third of them are entirely mediocre, and a third of them are um, shameful in terms of their performance. Um, so th that's not a lot of choice. When you look, and the second thing I'd say here, Paul, is yeah, there's choice outside the system, but it's boxed in. If you look at charter schools in Boston, which are high performing and the Metco system alone, the waiting list for those two programs is around 20,000. We have 46,000 kids in the Boston public schools let's say 30,000 of those kids are in mediocre or poorly performing schools, 20,000 people on wait lists. And it tells you, tells you that the choice system is entirely bottled up. Uh, that's how I look at the system. Most parents know they want a good school. They just don't have access to it. 
So there, there are apparently a lot of choices, but in reality, the places that people want to go to, you can't get in because it's all filled up and you got to be put on the waiting list. Exactly. Thank you for translating my word salad into English. <laughs> so we haven't talked about the teachers union. You did mention the fact that if you could ask the lowest performing teachers to find another job, you would uh, be on the right track. Uh, but the teachers union is insistent that um, teachers policy be based on teacher seniority. Your pay is based on seniority not on the basis of quality performance. Uh, you, you can't be fired uh, if, even if we don't need as many teachers because you gotta fire the junior teacher first, no matter how good that junior teacher is. So does it come down to the unions that the unions are in control, the employees are in control of the school and they're operating the school system for the benefit of the employees instead of the children. Is that what you're saying? Uh, not really. Look, I, I would I would ding the unions on being disingenuous about what the issues are here. Uh, they say things like the state has no grounds to run the Boston public schools because it's starved them so long for resources. I mentioned before, twenty six thousand dollars a student uh, is that's not a starvation. Funded. That's not starvation. Is that, does anybody get more than that? Oh, there are there are some the there country? are some places. Yeah, no, there are, but within within Massachusetts, one of the most highly invested systems around. Okay. Well, Cambridge um, does pretty well too, doesn't it? Cambridge does a little better than Boston. <laughs> <laughs> I think for people around the country who listen to your podcast, they would be shocked at the number, though. Uh, and well, I think the national Boston, average. What's the national average? Twelve thousand, fourteen thousand, something like that. So. Yep. It's, it's probably about twice the national average, close to it, anyhow. And, and, for, and, and as an institute, we do not begrudge the investment. We believe if the investment can be used to achieve great things, it's a, it, education is an incredibly powerful investment, especially in a knowledge economy like Massachusetts has. The problem is it's not translating into performance in any way. So um, so I, I, would, I would ding the unions on being disingenuous about what the problem, problem is. I, I would also ding them for never taking on the central office, never saying, you know, that's actually a big problem. We need to repatriate, if you will, dollars from the budget back into the classroom. Um, that's not something they do either. I would also ding them thirdly on their policies around merit. They don't really believe in testing. Um, they, they will uh, be an obstacle to it at every turn if they can and they use all the political levers to do so. In fact, the mayor is someone who's very close to the unions and this, the city council right now is very much that way. Uh, so in terms of being bold on reform and trying to think about how to maximize good parental choices, it's not even on the, you know, in the first 20 priorities. It may actually be something they don't want to see. Well, you mentioned the exam scores being uh, a highlight uh, of one of the good aspects of the system, but aren't the exam schools about to be eliminated? Uh, isn't it going to be, aren't they going to change the rules for being admitted to school so it's no longer based on your uh, preparation for high school or middle school, but rather on, on some other basis? So uh, 
Yeah, no, that's, that's that exactly content, right. Are you addressing that? Yeah. Yeah, um, this again is not an issue that we take on in the in, in our proposal on the receivership. Uh, there has been a change that gives much more weight to um, factors that are not, let's say, the ISCE uh, uh, tests, entrance exams. Um, it will definitely increase the number of students who are coming from the Boston Public Schools, even if they are not well prepared for the school. That's a completely separate issue. And I guess I would say, look, I'm also... I've read enough about the performance of exam schools to be sometimes somewhat skeptical about the, the value add that they provide. That all said, that all said, our district leaders, our mayor, our teachers union, they have it backwards in terms of how to admit students who, uh, a wider array of students than they're seen currently, many of whom do come from private schools or do come from charter schools. And that is the feeders into the exam schools are failing so badly, how do they expect the students to be ready, to be prepared to succeed there? And they've never wanted to take that one on. Um, it's a little bit like uh, if you have tributaries, uh, different tributaries that head into the headwaters of a of a river, and you've got all kinds of obstacles in the tributaries. These are all the Boston public schools that are elementary schools and middle schools. And yet you have some other tributaries that are charters and private schools that, yes, they're on a, they have no obstacles to getting into that um, exam school. They're unwilling to remove those obstacles from the Boston public schools, the district schools. And I think that's just a, they've never wanted to take that one on, Paul. Um, so the, our receivership proposal does not take that one on. It is, from, from, my, from my perspective, it is really disappointing to see them think that by lowering the bar, they're doing kids a favor. Uh, I would rather see them fix the schools that are tributaries into that system so those kids are well prepared and can rise. These kids can do it. Many of those kids can do it. Not ever all kids can do it, whether in a suburb or a, a city, but many of these kids can make it. Well, Jim, a lot of people say, and the data tend to say this, that Massachusetts has the best educational system in the United States. The student performance on the state tests in Massachusetts and on international tests, uh, national tests, Massachusetts is often number one, maybe number two, but it's right at the top. Is the Boston school system really worse than other big city school systems around the country or are we just looking at it through the tunnel of, of Massachusetts? So um, there, are, there are two questions in there. Um, if, if you don't mind, Paul, I'll take it as Massachusetts first and then Boston second. Massachusetts was among the fastest rising public school systems in the country, uh, especially through 2007. And in fact, we tested as a country, we tested on the trends in math and science study uh, in 2007, again, in 2009, we were number six in the world as a country. If we were a country, that's how we would have performed. And that's far beyond where most states are. I would say that Massachusetts has declined. We can see that in the NAEP data, especially in early grade reading. We've seen math uh, flatline, slight decrease. We've seen other states make up ground. So we're not, it's a little bit, little bit like being uh, MGH and trying to recruit talent. In the meantime, Vanderbilt and a lot of great hospitals in Texas have stood up and they're giving competition to MGH for talent, right? And the same thing is happening around the country. 
Um, on Boston, first, the real issue is that Boston is, a, in, is in a steep decline for all the data reasons I shared before. It's that it's not just that it's like, you know, poorly performing, it's declining. And um, it's declining from a low bar. That's what uh, we're terribly worried about, seeing the steep decline. Other urban districts are flatlining or some are improving a little bit. Overall, I'd say that Boston as a public school is probably uh, doing as poorly as most large urban public districts. Uh, with some shiny examples, a third of the schools actually do pretty well. But um, overall, we're probably very much like other large urban districts. It's not like the days of 2004 where Tom Paisant, Tom Paisant stood up and uh, received the Broad Prize. That's not where Boston is right now. Well, Jim, thank you for all of your good work to bring to the fore this urgent problem in education. And thank you for this illuminating discussion of just exactly what the problems are today and what might be done in a practical way to begin to address them. So thank you for joining me on the Education Exchange. Well, thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for your work as a leader in the education policy field. I've been speaking with James Sturgis, Executive Director of the Pioneer Institute. The Pioneer Institute has just issued a report calling for, uh, of a state receivership for the Boston public school system. I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. Please join me every Monday at noon when our weekly podcast is released on the Education Next website.